you would, just close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. Jesus, we're gathered here to lift you high this morning. On this communion day, we come before you with humility and thankfulness. We want to acknowledge the great gift that you've given us. It's humbling. But God, I ask this morning that you would meet us, each person where they're at individually, those who are celebrating, that your spirit would rejoice with them, those who are grieving, that your spirit would comfort them, those who are struggling, Lord, who are just trying to make it through the day, that you would strengthen them. And God, I just ask that your spirit would be with us to help us to invite our hearts into worship, true worship, God, that we wouldn't be distracted, we wouldn't be focused on ourselves, that your spirit would help us. We're so dependent on you that we even need your help just to worship you properly because we don't know. It's not natural for us to think outside of ourselves. We just ask, God, that you would help us, that you would come, that you would lift our eyes to you, that you would speak to our hearts your words of truth, your love. And God, we just want to glorify you. We just want to acknowledge the beauty of the cross, but not outside of the victory of the empty tomb. So God, as we come together to, to worship you, to hear from your word, to sit at your feet at the cross, to take partake at your table, God, that we would be thinking of you in your fullness, in your glory. Amen. Let's do it this morning. We're just going to continue to reflect on the cross as we sing. Amen.
bring your addictions come lay them down at the foot of the cross jesus is waiting there with open arms see his open arms for god so worship from Isaiah chapter 60 verses 19 through 20 it says no longer will you need the sun to shine by day nor the moon to give its light by night for the Lord your God will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory your sun will never set your moon will not go down for the Lord will be your everlasting light. And he promises your days of mourning will come to an end. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. To make a wretch his trade. 
great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to
the battle belongs to you and every fear i lay at your feet i'll sing through the night oh god the battle belongs to you Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. Thank you, God. When all I see is the cross, God, you see the Let's continue 
in an attitude of worship and prayer. You may be seated if you would like, but I want to encourage you to just focus on the Lord these next few moments as we fight on our knees, so to speak. If it helps you to literally get down on your knees before God and to pray to him, by all means, you can do that. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign that says, I don't have what it takes, but you do. Amen? Let's pray together this morning. Holy God, we thank you, Lord, for your presence that is so clearly in this place this morning. God, we thank you that as we gather here together, we can celebrate the good things that you are doing in our lives and in our midst. But God, we know that we can also come before you openly and honestly. God, as we bring burdens in our sins and our struggles, we're invited to bring those and to lay them down at your feet. God, we thank you for the reminder this morning that nothing is too big or too great for you. That you are an almighty God. Last week, we, we really paused as we considered the mighty voice of God. And God, we... We don't forget that this morning, that you, you are so great. And it makes us realize that we are so small and that we have a very real need for you. So God, this morning we just come before you. Here we are, Lord. Here am I, Lord. Here's all of me. I lay it all before you. You see to the very depths of my heart. God, you see me and you know me. And your word reminds me that you delight in me. God, may each person in this room know how much you delight in them. That their presence here today is not a burden. But God, we, we stand together this morning loved and adored by you. And God, you invite us to experience your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And God, we acknowledge that we have a great need for all of those things today. God, I pray that you would be with those in our congregation those who are still dealing with sickness, Lord, those who are dealing with pretty significant health issues. Some we might know about, some we don't know about, but you see them and you know them. God, would you draw near to them and be with them? God, I know that several of us in this congregation, we may not be dealing with sickness or disease, but we know someone who is. 
And I know that there are people in this room carrying that burden as if it were them. God, would you draw near to them and give them strength? God, we pray for healing this morning. We believe in the power, the healing power in the name of Jesus, and we pray that over all of those who are experiencing sickness and infirmities and health struggles that they don't know what will come of it. God, we pray for those who are just going through a transition in life, those who are experiencing change. Along with that, Lord, comes usually stress and anxieties, and we just pray that you would be with those who may be experiencing that this morning. Help them to know, God, that you are very present in the midst of those struggles and the unknowns and the stress. God, would you just help them to draw near to you and to lean on your sustaining power. God, as we open up your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would move in our hearts, that you would already begin preparing our hearts for what it is you have to say to us this morning. Lord, we we fully submit ourselves to you and to your word and to your teaching and how you want to guide us and direct us today. Help us to be obedient. Help us to have the ears to hear and the willingness to obey. And God, we just thank you for your living word that is useful for us on this day. God, we just thank you for being here with us, and we love you. We praise your holy, mighty name this morning. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, if you would like to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 14 in just a few moments. Um, But I do invite you to just kind of open up and and follow along as I'm going to lay some groundwork before we dive into our main passage this morning. Uh, For those of you who are joining us for the first time or for the first time in a long time, we are smack dab in the middle of a summer sermon series that is quickly turning into a fall sermon series as quickly as the weather is changing. Not really, but you know, it feels a little bit more like fall today maybe with the rain and whatnot. Um, But this is going to lead us into the fall and probably up until the season of Advent, but you're not missing much. Um, There's something new that we're unpacking each and every week, and there's not usually like a big to be continued. And so uh, we are just opening ourselves up to the Gospel of Luke and to the teachings of Jesus, and we're noticing uh, some of those significant themes along the way. And so in Luke chapter 14 today, you're going to notice that the setting is that of a meal. And there's two important things I want to highlight this morning, and that is, one, that that Jesus is is at, he is attending a, a dinner at the house of a prominent Pharisee, and we haven't really stopped and noticed a lot of the meal scenes throughout the Gospel of Luke, but I do want to highlight that Luke has a significant number of meal scenes, and I think it's the most of any of the Gospels, 
And the thing about those meal scenes in the Gospel of Luke, there's a, there's a common thread, and that is that Jesus is usually causing some kind of problem. Not purposefully, but just by his being and loving and living and doing, it's causing problems for other people. And so we notice throughout the Gospel of Luke that when Jesus is at the table, he is sharing a table with those who the religious leaders don't approve of, right? And there's always some, some judgment there and some critical words for Jesus. We see that a lot. And so just to set a tone for you, we're at a meal scene is probably going to be problematic. There's probably going to be some drama because that's what we typically see at the meal scenes. The second thing I want to highlight is that it is a Sabbath day as we read this passage. And for those of you who were here last week, we looked at a Sabbath passage last week. And we looked at the, the problematic healing of a crippled woman on the Sabbath and all the that went wrong there with the Pharisees. And here we are at another Sabbath day, on another Sabbath day, and that also means that there's probably going to be some drama. There's probably gonna be some offending that happens here just because of what Jesus does. And so as we open up this scene, as we kind of enter into this scene, it's a Sabbath day and Jesus is dining at the house of a prominent Pharisee. Think after church lunch or something or supper, right? Or dinner, no, it's dinner. We always said, I always said lunch, but I know some people use that dinner. It's after service dinner, right? And Jesus has been invited into the house of this Pharisee. And, and there is a sick person who just so happens to be present at this meal. And scholars believe that this, this is a little uh, suspicious considering the last passage that we looked at last week where Jesus healed a, a crippled woman on the Sabbath and this was so problematic. Scholars think that perhaps this man who Luke says has dropsy has been placed here strategically as a trick. Because at this point, like all gloves are, are off and the Pharisees are just trying to trap and trick Jesus, right? And so they're, they're stooping to new lows. And so more than likely, that's what's happening here is that this is a trick. But Jesus, he's not here for it. He heals the man anyways, because that's what Jesus does. And, and it's important, it's worth repeating what we said last week, that Jesus when it comes to interpreting the law, for him it was the Old Testament law, the law and the prophets, Jesus will always stand on the side of interpretation that frees and liberates and restores and heals. And so that's what he does again in this scene. And so after that, we notice that everyone begins to take their seats at the table. And, and Luke, is, Luke is, is specifically highlighting that Jesus is noticing that you might be you might picture in your mind just a bunch of, of of men of Pharisees important prominent men that are scrambling to find their seats and Jesus is watching because he's looking to see where they are going to sit. And one thing we need to understand about this context is that social gatherings in this context were a big deal. This was a major social event and you knew just how important someone was based on where they sat at the table. And so that's what's happening here. And so I imagine, I could be a little off here, but I imagine Jesus just kind of sitting back, observing, right? Noticing maybe a little bit of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, just as I expected. Yep, gonna have to address this, right? I just, I just picture that he is observing and maybe kind of shaking his head a little bit. And so he goes into this lesson. He teaches them a lesson on humility. 
And he says, uh, quickly, he says, when someone invites you to the table, to a wedding feast, for instance, he says, don't assume that you are so important that you get the seat of honor. He says, don't think so highly of yourselves. Take a, place, uh, take a place of humility, a humble seat, and then maybe you'll be invited to move up to a more important place. Otherwise, you're going to be embarrassed because you're probably not as important as you think you are. That's my version of, of what happens there. And that's where we read this well-known verse that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted, right? And so then he goes into this teaching about dinner parties. And by the way, while you're at it, don't just host dinner parties for important people who are just like you. This is all important to the passage that we're going to read together in a few moments. He's teaching them, that's not what this should be about. You should be inviting people to your table who aren't invited to anyone's table. Don't just invite important people to your table because you think they will return the favor and then invite you to their important tables. Jesus says, that's not what this is about. Notice those the outcasts, the misfits, those who live on the other side of the tracks who are never invited anywhere and invite them to your table. Invite those who can't do anything for you in return to your table. Because by the way, essentially is what Jesus is saying, this is how the kingdom of God works. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Are you on the edge of your seat yet? Jesus does not look favorably. We need to understand this. He does not look favorably upon the Pharisees' selfish motives, their self-righteousness, their circles of, what, of who is socially acceptable. He does not approve of their uh, selfish exclusivity, which prevents anyone from being included who doesn't look anything like them. And I love verse 15, which we're going to read in just a moment, but here's how I read verse 15 this week. I imagine that like Jesus has just kind of said this, he's kind of delivered this strong teaching and there's a little bit of rebuke here, a little bit of, of correcting and criticism here. And I imagine that the room is feeling a little tense at this moment, right? And so I love verse 15 because I imagine that this person who just speaks up is trying to break the tension and, and he hears kind of Jesus talking about the kingdom of God and I just imagine him blurting out like, yeah, blessed is the one who will partake in the feast at the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen, Jesus. That's kind of what I picture there. Like just a nervous, I got to break this tension. Amen kind of a thing. And so that's where we leave off as we uh, pick up with our main passage in Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. I'm going to invite you to stand, if you're able, as we read the word of the Lord and follow along together. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. 
please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Friends, this is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I wonder if this passage is meant to possibly serve as some commentary for the previous passage that I just kind of briefly highlighted for us. I, I imagine that Jesus is seeing what's happening here at the table, at this feast, and he sees what's happening, more importantly, in the hearts of the religious leaders, of the Pharisees. And he is addressing a serious issue in a way that he often does through a parable. And so we read in this parable, Again, we just, this is one of those easy scenes for me to picture in my mind. I picture this, this man who is preparing a big, beautiful banquet. I mean, I just love a good dinner party. I've not been to many like official dinner parties, but I just love a good dinner party. I love showing up to a big meal or a beautifully dressed table. Like there's just something so inviting. So we just picture this beautiful scene of a big table and delicious food that is being prepared for specific guests, right? One thing we need to understand about this culture is that it was the cultural norm to receive two invitations. One invitation was to simply invite you to the dinner, let you know when it is, can you come, you say yes or no, and then the second invitation is sent later when everything's ready, because that's how big a deal these things were. It took days, I don't even know exactly how long, but at least days, maybe weeks, to prepare this big meal, that's how important it was. And so then you would, be, you would be informed as to when it is ready. And so the guests, these specific guests, they respond to this first invitation. That's what we assume, right? They're receiving a second invitation. So the assumption is they've received and responded that they are coming to the first invitation. But all of a sudden, all these guests have, it, have reasons as to why they just can't make it. One says, I bought a field and I have to go look at it. Are people really buying fields without looking at them? Is that what's happening here? One said, I bought five yoke of oxen and has, I have to go try them out. I was worried that it would be a little too soon this week to read another verse that talked about oxen, but I did it. If you know, you know. If you don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am not going over it again. I bought five yoke of oxen, and I got to go try them out, because who's buying oxen, and they're not trying them out first? We're taking a look at them first. And then another says, oh, I just got married. I can't make it. And I love, I will never forget how one pastor was like, come on, you tell me what young married couple is not going to show up to a free meal. 
Like, really? A young newlywed couple that's saying, oh, sorry, we can't make it to a free meal? He's like, I'm not buying it. And that stuck with me because that's so true. I'm not going to like spend a lot of time here, but here's what you need to know about these excuses because that's what they are. These are lame excuses. We're just going to call it what it is, right? These are weak, terrible excuses. And we understand that because the master is angry. He is frustrated. And so he tells his servant, I want you to go out and I want you to find someone who looks like they need a meal and I want you to invite them to my banquet. In other words, go find the misfits, go find the outcasts, go find the down and out, go find anyone who's willing to come to my banquet so that they can come. And the servant does, but there's room for more. And so he says, okay, now I want you to go beyond the city, go to the country roads, and I want you to go find anyone who is not so preoccupied with other things who would be willing to come and participate in my banquet. And then he says those troubling words. Not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. That's the message version of that verse, and I thought it was pretty appropriate. Listen, this is not a story about someone who's made too much food, and now they just need someone to come eat it right? Like, oh, all this food's going to go to waste. I need someone to come eat. That's not what's happening here. This is not a story about rude guests who casually decide to make other plans because they don't want to come to this dinner party. Friends, this is a serious message, and it's one of those troubling passages for me. Like, I know some Christians have certain passages in Scripture that are really troubling to them, and I often don't find those passages as troubling. These are the passages I find to be troubling. The passages that, that say something along the lines of, Lord, but we did so many things in your name, and Jesus says, I never knew you. The passages where someone thinks they're going to be invited and welcome to the table, and then they're surprised when they aren't. Those are the troubling passages for me. And this is one of those troubling passages. See, Jesus, remember who he's speaking to in this moment. He's speaking to a room full of prominent Pharisees who are from and represent the nation of Israel. This is important. This might sound boring to you, but this is important. Jesus is speaking to a room full of people who have been hopefully and patiently waiting for the feast the eschatological feast, and that's a big word, but essentially what that means is final judgment or end time feast. Like, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been hopefully and patiently waiting for. And Jesus is speaking about that moment to a room full of Jews who would know. And he's essentially saying to them, you've already received one invitation, right? We go back to the Old Testament, and we remind ourselves of the story of the people of God and how that story originated, right? We remind ourselves that God is in a covenantal relationship with the people of Israel, right? That's a significant part of the story that we need to understand. Israel, this lowly, weak nation compared to the other nations, to nations around Israel, the macho and mighty nations, who as a result of a sin-filled world are rebellious 
and they cause problems and they create chaos. And so God chooses this, this lowly, humble nation through his faithful, righteous servant, Abram, and he promises to use this nation to be a blessing to the world and to the nations around them. And along with this promise, he covenants with them. It's a marriage. He covenants with them and he says, I will be your God and you will be my people no matter what. And we know how this story goes, right? Israel wanders. They wander again and again and again. They forget. They forget the God who has committed himself to them and they leave again and again and again. And in the midst of it all, God just continues to be faithful to Israel. And now here is Jesus. Here is Jesus, God incarnate with a second invitation for Israel. He is saying, God has been faithful even when you haven't. And now here I am with the second invitation. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. The table is set. The feast is ready. It's time to come and participate in the party in the kingdom of God. But they have rejected this invitation and they've treated it with nothing but contempt. And because they have rejected this invitation, Jesus is now extending the invite to those outside of the nation of Israel. And by the way, he always would, right? He was always going to. But the thing is now, those who were on the inside are going to be frustrated and offended with what Jesus is doing. Now they will be the ones the outsiders will be the ones who will participate and taste of this banquet. And those who were in this covenant relationship are going to be rejected and they will not participate. Jesus says they will not get so much as a bite at my banquet. Notice, notice that the language that Jesus uses in this parable is very intentional, right? He's speaking to a room full of of Jews. These are men who are a part of the nation of Israel. And so he's using language to communicate to them. You know what? Fine. Go out into the streets. Go out into the streets and the alleys of Jerusalem and invite those lowly Jews who have always been excluded from this table. You're so important, right? These, these lowly Jews have never been invited to your table. Well, guess what? Now they're invited to this table. He says, go and invite the outcast Jews, the sinner Jews, the unclean Jews, the demon-possessed Jews, the diseased Jews. And then he says, now go outside the city of Jerusalem. Go into Gentile territory. Go out into the country roads and invite those who scholars say would be an assortment of people like refugees, aliens, disenfranchised villagers, Runaway slaves, beggars, and the worst sinners that you could possibly imagine. This invitation now extends outside of Israel. And Jesus is now looking for those who will accept and who will faithfully follow and participate in this very upside down kingdom of God. Here's what I think I think Jesus is real frustrated 
I'd go as far to say, I think Jesus is angry in this passage. And I, I like how author and pastor Sky Jatani, he says, I agree with him. You may not agree with him, but I do. And he says, in Jesus' view, it is more honorable to simply decline God's, decline God's invitation outright than to offer him religious lip service. And this really resonated with me as I thought about this this week because I think there's something important that needs to be said about saying yes to Jesus. Think about this for just a moment. We put a lot of emphasis, and rightfully so, on saying yes to Jesus, right? Here is this invitation. Here is an invitation to receive Jesus as a Lord of your life, to receive forgiveness of sins. We put a lot of focus on what that means on the other side of the equation, on on the heavenly side, right? And we put all this emphasis for kids. There's a lot of kids in the room. Kids, I know you can attest that there is a lot of emphasis put on this whole saying yes to Jesus, inviting him into your heart. And that's how it should be. But I think so often we fail to properly disciple and teach what this yes looks like. And somewhere along the way, this yes turns into a one-time commitment that means nothing else afterwards. Not all the time, not in every case, but I think this happens quite a bit. But this is so much more. What Jesus is talking about, this is so much more than just saying a one-time yes. That's an important yes. Don't hear me say that that's not important, that that's not significant. It's an important yes, but it's so much more than a one-time yes. It's saying yes to where Jesus calls you to go. It's saying yes to do what he's called you to do. It's saying yes to being on mission every single day in your workplace, in your homes, in your schools, at your gym, in your book clubs, in your social circles. It's treating others with kindness even when you want to be ugly to them because they were ugly to you. Saying yes to Jesus means saying yes to cutting things out of your life that cause you to sin and stumble and cause separation between you and God. We don't like to talk about that, right? Too uncomfortable. That's too invasive. We don't like to talk about that. It's saying yes to walking away from a life that is solely fixed on comfort and ease. It's saying yes to the invitation and showing up every single day on our knees before the Lord saying, God, I'm yours. How do you want to use me today? God, you're calling me to do this thing that I, I don't know, it's scary, it's big, but God, I will do it. And I think a lot of times, see the reason this is hard because I think a lot of times this is not only backwards from the way that the world works, which is okay, but only if it keeps me comfortable and, you know, I can do it how I want to. But I think that this is even backwards for a lot of Christians who were taught to say that one time yes and then never were properly discipled as to what that everyday yes looks like. Are you with me? 
See, I don't think it's a coincidence that the very next passage, which we didn't get to or read, but the very next passage, Jesus talks about counting the cost. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's very intentional. I think Jesus, here's what I love about Jesus. Even when he has a hard word, he is always authentic and honest about that. Like he doesn't pretend like it's something else. He doesn't say, follow me and everything will always be easy. (laughs) He says, nope, you're gonna have a lot of troubles in this world, full disclosure. But guess what? I've overcome the world, so it all works out. It's a little more, it's a little deeper than that, but right? He doesn't say like, oh, this is gonna be super easy, so how how long can I sign you up for? Can I sign you up right now? No, no. In fact, in the next passage, he says, count the cost because this is going to be costly. It's going to cost you something. You wouldn't set out to build a house without counting the cost first, right? And he says, don't be so quick to receive. Consider what it's going to cost you first. We don't like that. It's not comfortable. But we can't deny that, right? Saying yes to Jesus is a lifetime commitment that is expressed moment by moment, day to day, and it challenges and changes all of our priorities. Saying yes to Jesus, oh, you guys are gonna, you're not gonna like this, but saying yes to Jesus is so much more than, yeah, okay, I'll come to church when it's convenient, when there's nothing else going on, and as long as everything's going perfectly well, then I will be there, I will come to the things. Saying yes to Jesus is more than, well, I'll try to read a quick devotional a few times a week. I may not get to it every day. I I probably won't have a lot of time to spend on it, but I'm going to try, and I'll do it when I can. Saying yes to Jesus means more than, well, I'll give when it's comfortable, and I'll give when I have plenty. Saying yes to Jesus is more than continuing to live a lifestyle that is comfortable and convenient for you, and then if it gets too difficult along the way or if something better comes along, we might chase that thing. Church, what kind of disciples are we making? What is that teaching? Because I walk away from this passage with something a lot deeper and heavier and weightier than that. Jesus says, count the cost before you accept and commit. Maybe because he's not interested in our religious lip service, he's looking for committed disciples who are willing to carry their cross. That means when it gets really hard, because it gets really hard. And if you think that I am not tempted to just be like, I'm done. Like, I'm not done with, with God. I'm not done with Jesus, but I am done trying to do all of this, right? Like, this is hard, and people don't come with you. And they, they look at you like you're crazy when you challenge, like, how much we're actually committing to Jesus. Like, this is hard, and it's really easy to just be like, I can go love people in other ways. Like, we don't have to do this. Had to count the cost. Several times. This challenge, because I know this is a challenging word. I'm well aware this is a challenging word. But this is not a new challenge, right? It's no doubt one that we wrestle with. This is one of those passages. We don't like to talk about these passages a whole lot because 
we're the ones that are being examined, right? The, the Christians, the followers, those who are in God's circle, we are the ones that are being challenged here. This isn't about the outsiders or the, 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 those sinners who are not saved yet. This is about us. We're having to examine ourselves. And this is challenging. But I love how, how N.T. Wright, he kind of calls it what it is. And he says, at every stage of its life, the church has had to face this challenge. Not only of living up to Jesus' commands, listen, not only of living up to Jesus' commands, but placing those commands before the world. We've always had to wrestle with this. Friends, as we come to a close this morning, I just wonder, is it possible that we have said that initial yes to Jesus, but we've continued to simply live life on the sidelines of Christianity, only participating when it's easy and convenient, when it doesn't cost me something, and only as long as everyone else plays how I want to play. Otherwise, I'm going to take my ball and leave. Is that how we've been approaching this thing? Is it possible that this is what we've been doing? Is it possible that we are offering up religious lip service to God? This morning, I just want to challenge us, and I want to ask, where are our priorities? Where are my priorities? Where are my commitments? And am I just doing this when it's easy and convenient and when it feels good? I'm going to ask the praise team to come as we, we're going to take a few moments to just let the Lord work this out in us and respond. And then we're going to prepare to come together to the table. How, how appropriate and amazing is that? That worked out nicely, right? And here's what I want to say. One last thing before we go into a time of reflection and response is that, listen, it's a weighty, hard word this morning. I'm sorry about that. Not really, but, you know, it is what it is. But, but the good news is that we were invited to this banquet, right? We've all been invited. We have all received this invitation, and that is such good news because I mean, none of us were worthy to be here. That's such good news, and that, that initial yes to the invitation is important. It's an important yes, and it's an important step. But here's what I, here's something else I received from this passage, is that when we say yes to Jesus, we are taught that the party guest becomes the party host, right? Not the host as in God is the host of this table, but we are now the host of our own tables, right? We are now called to follow Jesus' example, go out into the world, find those who are not being invited to anyone's tables, and we're called to invite them to our table. We are the host now. This is our responsibility. This is what we're called to do. This is the work to which we've been called. That's part of this commitment, and it's implied when you say yes. It's not yes, and I can't wait to watch to see how much the pastor does and how many people she brings to the table and how she does. I can't wait to watch. If you haven't figured it out already, I'm going to let you down. Because <laughs> this is on all of us. 
And trust me, I, I stand before you honestly this week to think about the last time I invited someone to my table and I felt convicted, okay? I'm with you in this. It's hard. But I wonder this morning, who's on your guest list? You received the invitation and you said yes. What does this work look like for you and who's on your guest list now? Let's pray. God, we, we sit in the weightiness of this word. God, this is one of those moments, I felt this strongly this week. Lord, this is one of those moments where we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of the tension of faith and how we do nothing to earn it. We, can't, we don't deserve it. We simply just say yes and receive. This is the tension between faith and works. This is the tension between saying yes and accepting, receiving and accepting that invitation, saying yes, but then recognizing that we are called to go and do and be. That we can't just show up. We don't just get to show up, but we are called to participate. We're reminded, Lord, that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we live how Jesus lived. And that doesn't just mean we treat others kindly and we give them lots and lots of grace. Yes, it means that, but Lord, we are challenged this morning as we remember that there's some participating that's expected here. God, only you can make these two things work. God, I could never craft a sermon that that puts all of this together so perfectly and easily and practically. But God, this is where we just sit in the tension of here's what your word says and now Holy Spirit, fill us and help us as we commit to responding. And it's only, Lord, through your Holy Spirit who is a gift to the church because we know we can't do this on our own. But because of your Holy Spirit who lives in us, it is possible to live in obedience to this word today and every day. So Lord, help us as we seek to do that. Amen. If you would stand with us, we're going to sing. Thank you, Jesus, that when you counted the cost, that you still said yes. Amen. Mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend The agonies of Calvary The perfect Holy One crushed your Son Drank the bitter cup reserved for me your blood has 
Amen. You may be seated. I was really grateful to quickly discover that today we would have an opportunity to respond in the most appropriate way, and that is by coming together to the table as we receive communion together this morning. And as I was thinking about this, don't worry, I'm not delivering like part two, but as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about how, have you ever been invited to a dinner party and you had nothing to bring? Maybe it was a little bit last minute. Maybe it was, you know, unexpected and you were invited, but you're like, I don't have anything to bring. And you were encouraged to come anyways. Maybe you felt out of place because you didn't have anything to offer in return. That's how I was thinking about coming to this table this week. Friends, we have nothing to bring, right? We show up empty-handed with nothing but ourselves. But we've been invited to come to this table and to receive and to participate. And we come to this table. Here's why communion is so important. And here's why we are committed to doing it once a month. Some congregations do it every week so that they don't forget. It's important to remind ourselves that we come to this table empty-handed with nothing to bring, but we open up our hands and we open up our heart, our hearts, and through the mystery of the bread and the juice, we are filled with the Lord again. He gives us more of him so that we can go out into the world and pour that out for others, right? It's because of Jesus' love and grace and mercy that we are even welcome to this table. And Jesus knew, I have no doubt that he knew that when he laid down his life, he wasn't getting anything in return from us, right? But personally, for me, I'm compelled. And it's because of what Jesus did that I want to show up every single day and every single time. I want to show up and come to this table and say, Lord, I give all of me to you. You can have it all. So that's what we're doing this morning. So in just a moment, we're going to have some, um, some ushers guide you. Your row will be instructed to come and to receive. We'll have myself here and Bo will be here. Um, and just so you know, all of you are welcome to come to this table. You don't have to be a member here. If you are aware of your need for grace, then you are welcome. You don't have to come, but you are indeed welcome. There is a seat for you at this table. I do want to encourage you to come to the table, which when I say that, that means when you come forward, sometimes it can be helpful to come with open hands, like literally like this, just because it reminds you that you are opening yourself up, not to what I can give you, please, not to how I can, can fill you, but how the Lord wants to do those things. And I pray that you would contemplate the significance of this moment and recognize how beautiful it is that we are all invited to this moment and that we are participating in that together. So when you're dismissed, you may come up. But first, um, what we're going to do is if you are not able to come forward, I would like you to raise your hand and I will bring these to you. And then you'll be dismissed from there. 
would hold on to your elements and we will all receive them together in a few moments. Come, the table is ready.
Friends, on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body that has been broken for you. Take and eat and be thankful. Amen. Take and eat. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant. It's my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. May you take and drink and be thankful today. Thanks be to God. Would you join us as we sing this song in closing this morning? Maybe we can float that song out this week and just uh, be prepared as we come to receive that word, a beautiful word, one of my favorites. So we look forward to that next week. I just want to share a few quick announcements with you before we dismiss this morning. Uh, just your reminder once again, uh, this is coming to a close pretty soon. I guess probably next week I'll be able to maybe hopefully share an update with you on um, the Afghan resettlement of uh, the resettlement of one particular Afghan family uh, that we have partnered with several other churches to raise funds for. Um, I'm not totally sure where we're at on that, but I'm going to hopefully be able to share an update with you uh, next week. But if you have not had the opportunity to give to that, um, I just want to remind you of that so you don't miss out uh, before we are finished with that, before that is complete. Um, the month of September is Alabaster Month, and so we will have the Alabaster Box out in the foyer all month long if you want to bring the change you've been collecting. Uh, we'll have some educational, informational videos in the coming weeks uh, just to remind you where that offering goes, that all the proceeds of the Alabaster offering go to the building of churches and parsonages and, and buildings that are used um, in the Church of the Nazarene for the, the work of the church in those local areas. And so we'll share more about that with you throughout the month of September. The month of September, the um, item for the shoebox collection, the Operation Christmas Child shoebox collection, this month is, um, we are collecting these 24-ounce water bottles. We have one because um, the, the, the homeschool group, remember, we're partnering with them. We're not doing this on our own. We're just helping them to collect the items, and they use a very specific kind of water bottle. This one you can get from the Dollar Tree, uh, $1, or you can scan that QR code that's out in the foyer, and you can buy a, a whole pack of them if you'd like. Um, but this is the, the exact kind of bottle that they are wanting to use because, remember, you can only fit what fits in a shoebox, like a standard shoebox, not like a boot shoebox. Um, and so they actually use these particular uh, water bottles because they are able to put things inside them. It's very strategic and specific, but it is so that they can fit the most items possible because, remember, 
these boxes, these kids get one in their entire life, right? And so we try to pack it as full as we possibly can, and that's why it's important that you get a very specific kind of water bottle. Um, if, you, if that's too much pressure for you, uh, then you can also just give a donation and say that it's for the water bottles. That's also an option for you if you would like, okay? If you have any questions, let me know. Um, I want you to mark your calendars for Sunday, September 18th. Um, we are in a season where we are saying goodbye to some families in our church who are moving. It's a season for moving for some people. And so on Sunday, September 18th, during the Sunday school hour, so no Sunday school on this day, uh, we're going to have a donut and a donuts and fellowship for Pam Dorney, as that will be her last Sunday with us before she moves to Mattoon. So she's not going too far, but uh, we certainly will miss seeing her every week. And so we want to make sure to just shower her with our love and and just um, a, t- a special time together before she does move. Okay. And then finally, the office will be uh, closed tomorrow for Labor Day. So we just want to make sure you're aware of that. Okay, at this time, I am going to invite you all to stand and to receive this benediction this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may you go in the grace and love and peace of our Lord and Savior. May you know that you are loved. And may you consider what your yes to Jesus means this week as you hopefully seek to follow him moment by moment, day by day. Go in his peace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.